And it's a good morning to all of you around the world. We've, this is Healing for Church Orphans, and we have this class in the mornings, 9 a.m. Pacific time. It is not live. It is recorded on the Anchor podcast. And this morning we're at, of course, uh, uh, Abundant Hope Christian Center in Downey, California, here on Paramount Boulevard between Florence and and Firestone. Those of you who can attend, who do listen and are in this area, we're at 9 a.m. right off of Paramount Boulevard. We are the church with the old stained glass. You can't miss it. We're just two doors from the mortuary, so if anything happens, we know where to send them. I'm just kidding, of course. Anyway. (laughs) So, I've never, I've only heard a few cases where someone died at church. And it does happen, you know, it does happen. And uh, one of them was a pastor. He was at his pulpit, and it was recording the service on audio tape. And suddenly in mid-sentence, bam, his head hits the podium and that's it. The Lord took him home at that in mid-sentence, right in mid-sentence. So it can happen, but I don't think it'll happen this morning. I I intend to outlast the Bible study and be with you more times. So God bless you. We're in Philippians 2. We're in the power of humility. Uh, We're in the third part of a Bible study. And if it seems like we're reviewing verses we read last week, yes. Because uh, we need to get back in. We need to get back into the shallow end of the pool and head for the deep end. And because when when we... immerse ourselves in the word and Philippians chapter 2 is a busy chapter a very busy chapter there are a lot of trees to go through and what we're going to see here again is the beloved Paul talks to the beloved his beloved spiritual children and he first gives Christ as the example of humility in verses 5 through 11 before that in the first four verses of chapter 2 Philippians He says there is unity through humility. When people are giving to one another, when they're expressing a desire for the rights of others, the needs for others come first, then you're going to have a stronger unity in a church. Whenever you see disunity in a church, it's because things are out of balance and everything is going to one or two sources and there is an elite and that's where the elite meet, and uh, there are those who have nothing, and they're treated like paupers. And we see that in the church in Corinth. What was the problem with their communion service? They were getting drunk. They were eating and gorging themselves, while people outside were hungry and going without. There was a lack of humility, and it turned the life-giving communion table into a death-giving communion table. People were getting sick and some were dying. Paul steps in. This is in 1 Corinthians 11. Read it sometime. It is a communion service has gone bad. And he says, this is the reason why many of you are sick and some of you have even died. He straightens out their communion service where it is a place of sharing where the hungry are fed, where everyone shares. And that's the spirit of the church. When we see selfishness in the church, 
then unity just breaks down and it becomes a social club. Let's go to verse 12 again, and we see in this section of chapter 2, three therefores. And the therefore he's talking about to his beloved children, the therefore he's talking about is what Christ is as an example in verses 5 through 11. When he gets to 12, he says, therefore, my beloved, he doesn't say beloved, my beloved, this is a spiritual father speaking, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure, end of sentence, period. You take 12 and 13 as one full sentence. He says our salvation is given to us to work it out. And that means we make choices. We make choices to serve one another, to give to one another, and to deny ourselves, follow Christ, and carry our cross daily. And the cross is a place of self-denial. We are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a worshipful fear. It is God who works in us. If you look at chapter 1, verse 6 of Philippians, he works in us until the day of Christ because we are to do things. In verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Those words also mean no grumbling or arguing. We are to work out doing all things without grumbling or arguing. It is the denial of self. This is the way of the cross, the one we choose, where there can be only power when we're praying for others, healing, when we need the means to pay a mortgage or a rent or whatever, a car payment, whatever it is. We must have an attitude of humility. This, the way of the cross, denying ourselves, not only making sure we're going to be concerned with our own needs, our own car payments, our, our own house payments, our, our own needs, but also include within that the needs of others. When we've looked at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, <coughs> this, these are the chapters about money and giving. And the Lord gives us seed, not only to give us the bread we need, but to help out our family members and those outside our family members. It is a wide arc throughout the church. Paul was asking them to help out the church in Jerusalem. They were going through a famine. In that city, they were being denied jobs. They were being starved. The church was being starved. In the midst of a Roman and Jewish city, a capital, where they had trouble making ends meet. So Paul sent, I think it was Titus if memory serves, to make a collection and to bring that money into Jerusalem and buy food. Simply buy food. Whenever they tithed, whenever they had a church offering, it was always, always, always for the saints. It was to feed and help and clothe the saints. It was not 
usually for unbelievers. Although we see in Galatians, they were setting tables and feeding unbelievers too. We see that too. But primarily, the saints had to be taken care of first. That's what these collections were for. And they were put in the hands of men like Titus, who were trusted and accountable, that he would be sent from Corinth was one of the richest churches there. They were also the church that was getting drunk at communion and, and marrying father's ex-wife, among other things. There was sexual immorality. There was uh, drunkenness to the point that Paul doubted their salvation. He really thought, this is one of the churches he founded as a spiritual father. But in this giving, they denied they were to deny themselves. That's the whole idea. That doesn't mean you starve your children or you starve yourself. But whatever you have extra, you give on that. It's between you and the Lord. It's a private act of worship. Giving is a private act of worship. And if you could do it cheerfully, then you're on the beam. Then you're in God's will. Let's keep going here. Verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless. That word means innocent. Children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Jesus said he was the light of the world, remember? Well, we are to be the little lights. We are to shine in a perverse and crooked generation. Crooked, that's dishonest. Perverse is immoral. That we are to shine as lights in a, in a corrupt and immoral generation. And that word generation can also mean race. The human race. That as it darkens, as the world darkens and becomes more immoral, more perverse. By contrast, we shine as little lights. What did President Bush start? The thousand points of light. He sounds like an old Episcopalian when he did that. Yes, that was a Christian idea. Verse 16, how do we do that? Holding fast the word of life. Holding on to our Bibles, reading our Bibles out loud every day. It is the word of life, and that word life is Zoe life. It is the life that comes from heaven. It is the life that is not tainted by sin or corruption. There is no hunger in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no death in heaven. So when Jesus says, pray that that is which is in heaven would come on earth. Remember, he said that, that we would pray down heaven on earth. That's where we get the means. Paul would tell them and later on in Philippians, your wealth is in heaven. And it starts off as a spiritual wealth. And when it gets translated down here, it becomes material wealth. He says where, where moth and rust and thief does not destroy. That's where your wealth is in heaven. Then you bring it down by saying, thank you, Lord, that we have the means to take care of each other and our families, and that we could take care of others who are orphans. Orphans. This Paul is a spiritual father talking to orphans. 
Because when you came to Christ, you lost your family. If you were a Jew, you lost your family. If you were a Greek, you lost your family. And that's why they were making collections throughout Macedonia and throughout Corinth so that they could feed the hungry born-again believers in Jerusalem. Orphans. Orphans and spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers taking care of orphans. When you don't have enough to eat, don't have enough to clothe yourself, you are a literal orphan. That's what this is all about here. Let's keep going here. Verse 16 again. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Not the day of Jesus. The day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Notice he's talking about two things in vain. Run and labor. Run. <laughs> well, running, you're on the run. Paul had he, Paul was a tent maker, but he didn't have a home anymore. His family came out of Tarsus. A rich family, a Roman family, came out of Tarsus. He was homeless. Fortunately, he knew how to build tents. I think he lived in many of his own tents. And that he labored in vain. Labored by teaching, preaching. Being a spiritual father is a lot of work. And he's doing that by writing letters from prison. As this one is. He wants to rejoice in the day of Christ. The day of the anointed one. The day of Christ's return. Which is a day of judgment. Where there's the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are separated from the goats. Remember Jesus talked about that. He also talked about ten virgins. Five went in. Five did not. He talks about this division. The day of the anointed one and his anointing. Just as the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, Christ from the dead, when Christ comes back, it'll be in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it'll be to say, you come. You come in. For the salvation that is prepared for you. We've been saved in the past. We're saved right now. But we have this bodily salvation to look forward to. Our salvation is not complete. When he talks about the day of Christ, he's speaking about the resurrection power. They will come. We will come. We will be resurrected. If we're at Rose Hills or a cemetery, our bodies will be resurrected. If he comes today, we'll be caught up in the air and we'll meet our friends, our neighbors, and our family members in the air as they're resurrected with new bodies. So when he talks about the day of Jesus, that, is, that means the day of Jesus is his second coming. I believe, this is my two-bit opinion, the day of Christ is the rapture of the church because it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. We kind of, I kind of melted them two together. Well, now I'm separating. Day of Jesus, the second coming, is different than the day of Christ, which is the rapture. That's my own two-bit opinion. Because he could have said day of Jesus here, as he did many times. But the day of Christ, and he's talking about laboring in vain and running in vain. He doesn't want to be a failed father, a failed spiritual father. Holding fast the word of life. I can't get, I can't leave that alone. Holding fast. 
grip when I was getting chemotherapy, I would bring a hardcover Bible with me, a Thompson Chain Bible. Couldn't read it much because they gave me Composine and I was half asleep. But I could feel my life ebbing away from the chemo. It's like being on death row and they're putting this stuff in you. You could just feel your life as you go through that valley of the shadow of death. And I hung tight to that hardbound Bible. And I rarely read it, but I knew it was right there. And I had to have something tangible to hold on to. So I held on tight to that Bible, hardbound. That was me. I needed that. I needed that at the time. So holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. This guy's looking forward to the rapture. Again, my two-bit opinion. He's day of Christ. The, the, the coming for the church comes first. And then the second coming is the coming to judge the earth for sin. And he has angels with him to do that. For those of you who collect little baby cherub angels, they're not like that. You look at the book of Numbers, you look at the Old Testament, and you look at the book of Revelations. Angels are the agents that pour out the wrath and destroy and kill billions. Billions will die. And the earth will be in blood. A horrible time. But in the day of Christ, I think the church will miss the whole tribulation because we're the bride. The Old Testament church was never called a bride. Not really, no. We're a bride. What man would allow the bride to get beaten up for three and a half or seven years? I mean, when he comes for the bride after seven years, she won't be grateful. She'll have blood in her eye that she was left behind for seven years to get beat up. That, I mean, on your wedding day, you want to be taken in, not abandoned. So I think it's the day of Christ. Verse 17. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. He's pouring out his life for his children. And those of you on this Mother's Day in the United States, I'm giving this message on Mother's Day, May 12th, 2019. As a parent, you know, many of you may know what it's like to pour out your life for your kids. And say, no, that's not for me, this is for them. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When, and when things were tight, and you had choices to make, and the kids come first. Because I'll tell you one thing as a pastor and as someone who is taught in rehabs and jails, this is a big day in prisons. Did you know that? The sons will always remember and if they got minutes to call home, they'll call mom. A month from now to be Father's Day. It is not a busy day in prisons. Something to think about. They always remember mom. Always remember mom on this day. It's a day for looking back as well as looking to today. Looking back, we, I'm sure all of us, if we're 
if our mothers have passed on, thought about our moms this morning, and those memories came back, good, bad, ugly, maybe, whatever, good, hopefully, we remembered mom today, if she's not with us today. Because Paul poured himself out as a drink offering, and there is the drink offering in the temple where you, you pour it out. And the pouring out of water in the temple is dying to self. Pouring out for the baptism, there was a water baptism in the temple, just as for the church, a water baptism. And it's basically say, I die to self in honor of my God. And I'm baptized in, my, in death. I'm baptized. So when you pour yourself out on the sacrifice and service of your faith, he's speaking to his children. I do this, I'm in jail because of your faith. And I pour out my life as long as I have life. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. That you have a spiritual father who pours himself out for you. And that's what a parent does. They pour themselves out for their children and deny themselves. They may not realize that they're obeying Jesus who said, take up my cross, deny yourself and follow me. But that's basically a parent's heart, a parent's attitude. Because in the church, it isn't so much, it is pastor sheep, shepherd sheep. But in the community, it was fathers and sons. Look at 1 John. Fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. Look at Titus. Where when the women gathered together, the older women would teach the younger women how to be good wives and good moms. Look at that in Titus. We don't see married people gathered together, and we don't see singles only gathered together. We do see men gathered together, and we do see women gathered together. Why? So that the fathers can leave something behind for the sons, and the mothers leave something behind for the daughters. It's a giving. And this spiritual father is pouring himself out. And that is humbling. You humble yourself. Just as Christ humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And in the first part of chapter 2, this humbling, favoring one another, brings unity to the church. There is no pecking order. Later on, when we look to Timothy and Epaphroditus, look at verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, not son, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you, Oh, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Epaphroditus was his brother. You don't see Paul taking authority, saying, I'm number one and you're number two, you're number three. My brother, 
fellow worker, fellow soldier, fellow. The gospel levels the playing field. We're all the same. There's no pecking order in the family of God where one is more important than the other. And as a spiritual father or spiritual mother, we humble ourselves and give to those in need, even if it means a hearing ear and a loving heart. There are people in the church who need a spiritual mother. And there are people in the church who need a spiritual father. And they don't get that in a big meeting where one speaker speaks to a hundred or thousands. It is one-on-one -on -one relationship. Come to me. I'll cover you. I'll have your back. I'll be there for you as a father or a mother. That is taking, and it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. It eats up the clock. I've been a spiritual father since 1985. What is that? 34 years. As long as I've taught, I've been a spiritual father. And I've had mostly young men come and go through my life. But I still have them in my life. And they send me a Father's Day card. I kid you not. And what a delight that is. What an utter delight that is. When God puts orphans in your life and you could reach out to them. It doesn't mean you'll always have them in front of you. They'll wander off as orphans still do. But look at these words of humility. It is a giving relationship where you're giving not out of selfish motive. You're giving because they have a need and your father's heart and your mother's heart that's natural as breathing to give, right? It's, at, it's as natural as going to the cupboard and saying, here, let me just fill up a bag for you so you don't go away hungry. Come over and, and we'll make dinner for you. Anytime, anytime, come on over. That's inconvenient. That's inconvenient. But it shows the heart of Christ, the love, and when he comes to take out his church, those are the people he's taken out with him. The givers. The caregivers. The givers who care. We'll continue with this in our next study. We're going to have communion now. Those of you around the world, you can get your water or juice or if you've got grape juice, whatever liquid you have that's drinkable and whatever you can eat, like a cookie or a uh, potato chip, or a biscuit, or a muffin, or a tortilla. Bring it out, and we'll have communion together. If you have sin to confess, this is the time to do it. Thank you. If you have a need for healing, this is where we come to the cross. But if you have need for cleansing from sin, this is a good place to come. The Lord has created a table for us in the wilderness of life. And we are surrounded by our enemies. Look at Psalm 23rd one more time. He's prepared a table for us in the midst of our enemies. 
And if we need to bring down from heaven life, love, finances, healing, food, all these things that we need, finances, they're in the glory with Christ. Let's take the bread or the tortilla or the cookie or the potato chip, whatever it is, and we bring it to you, Father, in Jesus' name, and we thank you that this represents your son, the bread from heaven, the manna from heaven, that came to earth. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000. No one went away empty. He refused no one. And he went to the cross for our sins and rose from the dead for eternal life. And we thank you for the body of Christ. And by his stripes we are healed. And we receive healing by faith. In Jesus name. Now we take. The juice. That represents. The blood of Jesus or the water. Whatever it is. Even milk. Whatever. Cleanse us Lord. From a guilty conscience. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the words we use. And just being selfish. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. With the Spirit of Christ. The resurrection power. We give this day to you. We rejoice because this is the day you have made and we rejoice in it. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, a time of refreshing. Guide us by your Spirit and cleanse us and protect us by your blood. Wherever we may go, to church or synagogue or temple, whatever it is, protect us by your blood, the blood of the Savior. Whether it be work or a school or a home, protect us by your blood. We give you praise and partake together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. His name is upon us. And when he sees his name, he blesses us. And we can be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name. Go with God. Thanks for listening. Thanks for attending. And in the United States right now, happy Mother's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.